utterly adored around the world. Tiger Woods was young, handsome, and wildly talented, and he had an adorable family to boot. Only, as so often is the case in celebrity land, the higher you climb, the harder you fall. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello. Hi. So here we are. We have two parts on Tiger Woods. And look, I think our listeners know how long this story has fascinated us for. We've spoken about it on the podcast. We've recommended content around it. We've kind of toot and froed for a long time about whether this was one for us. Yeah. You know, it's quite sporty, but I think... When I think about this scandal, I do think of it as one of the biggest celebrity scandals of all time, not sporting. I agree. I think as well, if we're looking at scandal as being so tabloid focused and media focused and really analyzing media coverage, there's no better story to dive into than the Tiger Woods multiple affairs story. Yeah. And I think for me, this all happened or it sort of all kicked off in 2009 Mm. and I do feel like this was one of the first big celebrity controversies and scandals that I was following like I remember following this so much I remember the newspaper front pages with like all of the women's faces on them yes oh my god almost like what they do when there's a a natural disaster and they show all the photos of the victims yes and it was like the number of women was climbing and I remember just being enthralled by it all, wondering how this had happened and how this was also public. So I am looking forward to diving into this. There's a lot of layers in this story. It was hard for a lot of people in Tiger's mm. world as well. For context, before we start, we did lean on the documentary Tiger for this as well as the 2018 biography called Tiger Woods as well. We will put the links to those pieces of content in our show notes because there's only so much we can cover in mm. two episodes of a podcast. But if you want more, which a lot of people do, that those pieces of content are amazing. Yeah, we will be rewinding back, Zara. Before we meet Tiger, we think it's really important to introduce the listeners to Tiger's father. Alrighty, Mish. So as you kind of mentioned, to understand Tiger Woods, you have to understand his parents and most particularly his father. Now, Tiger's dad, Earl Woods, was born in 1932 in Kansas, and he was a pretty natural athlete himself. He was one of the first black baseball players during his college years at Kansas State University, which his own father, so Tiger's grandfather, really encouraged. Yeah, in fact, according to that 2018 biography on Tiger by Jeff Benedict and Armin Katian that's called Tiger Woods and that you mentioned in the intro, Zara, Earl's dad once told him nothing would make me prouder than if Earl achieved professional status as a baseball player. Earl never quite made it to the professional level, though. Instead, he joined the U.S. Army and met Tiger's mother, Kultita, who is known by her nickname, Tita. Now, these two met when Earl was on a tour of duty in Bangkok in 1968. Tita was working as a secretary at the U.S. Army base where he was deployed at the time. 
Yeah, now Earl actually met Tita when he was married to his first wife. He very quickly filed for divorce soon after meeting Tita because he planned on bringing her back to the US with him once the tour mm. was over. So not without its own little scandal there too. <laughs> the couple very quickly fell in love though and Tita followed Earl back to New York where they married in 1969, so just a year after they met. They relocated to Cyprus in California and that is when Tiger came along. Yeah, Tiger's full name though is actually Eldrick Tont Tiger Woods. He was born on December 30, 1975. Apparently the E in Eldrick was to represent Earl and the T in his second name Tont was to represent Tita. Earl decided that Tiger would go by the nickname Tiger though in honour of his combat partner from his army days. He felt that this guy who went by the nickname Tiger actually saved his life on more than one occasion. So in honour of his friend and colleague, nicknamed his son Tiger too. Yeah, and it's hard to overstate with all of this in mind now that Tiger's kind of entered the chat of this story, the impact that his parents have had on his life, particularly Earl's impact. I mean, it's because of Earl that Tiger started playing golf in the first place. And as we're about to discover, he started far earlier than most Mish. <laughs> much, much earlier. Now, Earl himself had developed a love of golf after returning to the US. He set up a DIY putting net in his garage at home so he could practice his swing. As per the Tiger Woods biography, when Tiger was about six months old, Earl started bringing him to the garage and strapping him into a high chair. While using a five iron to hit ball after ball after ball, Earl would talk to Tiger. Tita sometimes would sit beside the high chair with a spoon in one hand and baby food in the other. It became a nightly ritual. Earl swinging and talking, Tiger watching and listening, Tita feeding her baby. As the story goes, one day before Tiger was even a year old, he took himself off the high chair in the garage, picked up a toy golf club, then swung it and sent a golf ball flying perfectly into the putting net. <laughs> According to Earl, that's when he knew he had a genius on his hands. I've had a couple of little people in my life. Like I've had two nieces yeah. who have been under a year old. And the thought of either of them getting out of a high chair and having the nous and hand-eye coordination to even stand, first of all, without falling over, but pick up a golf club and swing it into the net. Like that is, it's near unbelievable. But when you find out how successful he went on to be, maybe that story is real. Yeah, I'm in a couple of minds about it. I mean, you guys will hear more and more about Earl as we go through, but him calling Tiger Woods a genius yeah. at the age of less than one is very in line with how he feels about his own son. The other element of this is like Tiger is incredibly talented, one of the greatest golfers of all time, but was that because of natural talent or was that because he had someone in his life who at the age of one was encouraging him mm. to hit the ball? Like it's kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Now when Tiger was 18 months old, Tita would take him to the golf course that Earl played at to hit some balls. By the time he was two, he spent two hours per day hitting golf balls. Now this practice time was heavily supervised and encouraged by his dad Earl. Yeah, it was around that time that Earl took it upon himself to generate some publicity for his child prodigy son. He actually called around to different TV stations in an attempt to get Tiger on camera. And pretty soon enough, he was successful. Tiger was getting TV gigs. And I've got to say, this feels very reminiscent of some other stories we've heard about professional athletes' parents. It particularly reminds me 
of Richard Williams, the yeah. father of Serena and Venus, and how he was like the PR manager for those girls when they were super young as well. Yeah. Now, between the ages of two and five, Tiger appeared on multiple TV shows, usually talk shows as a guest. It reminds me sort of the kind of content that Ellen would later do with young yeah. kids who just had like really interesting skills and tricks. He was accompanied by his dad and he'd usually hit a few golf balls and shyly chat to the host. Here's a clip from one of those talk shows because it's pretty fascinating to listen to. He hits it where he wants to hit it, not only where, but how he wants to hit it. Ha, ha, ha. Ooh, okay, you gonna make a par on the last hole? Uh-huh. Okay, all right, let's go do it. When I'm gonna be 20, I'm gonna be Jen Nichols and Tom Watson. It's a weird one because, of course, you see his skill in these interviews, but he is so incredibly shy. I feel for him. And he's tiny. He's tiny. Tiny, tiny. When Tiger was four, Earl set him up with a private golf instructor. I mean, this is the thing. By four, he was able to train with a private golf instructor. Who didn't even charge because he was so talented. The golf instructor was like, I'm going to do this for free. Like, I know four-year-olds. And (laughs) four-year-olds don't always listen to instructions. They run around and do their own thing. They're in their own little world, four-year-olds. He must have been such an obedient little boy. Because... Every four-year-old I've ever met just really moves to the beat of their own <laughs> Yeah. Now, Earl was, as you might have guessed, extremely dedicated to Tiger's success as a golfer. When Tiger started primary school, Earl gave him a cassette player with motivational self-help tapes in it. Tiger listened to the tapes so much that he reportedly wore them out. Yeah, it was on the golf course that Earl's efforts were in full force. As per the Tiger Woods biography, Earl put Tiger through psychological warfare and prisoner of war techniques that he had once taught to soldiers, breaking his son down in an attempt to toughen him up. Years after Earl passed away, Tiger did touch on some of his dad's controversial tactics, saying, My dad deliberately used a lot of profanity when I was hitting balls all the time and throughout my swing. Fuck off, Tiger. Motherfucker, he would say. He constantly put me down. He would push me to breaking point, then back off. It was wild. There's some footage in the Tiger documentary on HBO where you see his father when he's just a small kid almost go to kick him in the legs or swing his legs out in front of Tiger as he's going to swing the golf ball. Like you could see his dad, even in those very early videos, trying to get in his young son's head. The thing is, though, this, as controversial and awful as some parts of it were, worked. Tiger was absolutely obliterating every junior golf tournament he entered into. At 13, his parents actually decided it was time for him to start competing in national junior golf tournaments, which he also just completely blitzed. Yeah, absolutely. By all accounts, he was a quiet studious teen. I think this lines up with the kind of person he'd have to be to be this dedicated to his his craft. He didn't have many friends. He spent all of his time golfing and he was quite shy. Everything revolved around golf and his parents, basically. Mm. Now, by the time he was in high school, he was almost ready to go pro with his golfing, but it didn't come without a lot of hard work. There were also people in the golfing world, which is a very, very white industry who did not like a man of colour like Tiger 
being so successful. Yeah. By 16, Tiger had already received racially motivated death threats. Earl had warned him about the hateful athletes that he would likely face as a non-white person in golf since he was a small child. Reportedly, Earl would tell him, in this country, there are only two colours, white and non-white, and you ain't white. Yeah. Now, when Tiger was 16, he actually became close to another student called Dina Gravel. Now, Dina was a popular cheerleader and they kind of struck up a friendship which turned into a relationship. They were together for about three years, despite Tiger's various golf coaches warning him against getting distracted by girls, Mish. Yeah. From everything we've read and watched, Tiger's relationship with Dina seemed to be something of a sanctuary for him. He really made a habit of visiting her and having dinner with her family after golf practice. He also confided in Dina a lot. And it felt like, from the outside anyway, when you read about his life, this was his first normal, in quotation marks, adolescent experience that he actually got to enjoy just for the sake of enjoying it. The relationship with Dina also seemed to have helped Tiger deal with something that he was experiencing at home as well, which was his father's rampant infidelity. Yeah, in that HBO two-part doco series that we've touched on, Earl's affairs and their impact on Tiger as both a child and a teenager were definitely explored. One really surprising moment is when Earl's former friend and a PGA personality by the name of Joe Groman admits to producers that both he and Earl let a really young Tiger down. Here's the quote that Joe gave in the documentary. Earl was a great, great dad, but I don't know how to smooth this one over. I assure you that we were not the best role models when it came to honouring your marriage. Earl had this little Winnebago and we'd let him teach on the range. And he'd teach these very attractive blonde women. I never figured out how he met these women. And often after the lesson, they'd go into the Winnebago for cocktails. And Tiger was at the course and I was every bit as bad. Yeah, Joe Groman went on and said, I mean, for a time, me and Earl were the biggest male figures in his life, the two closest to him, and here I am, chasing skirts and bringing them to the course, and yeah, I was married too at the time. And he's seeing this, you know, to have that kind of access to this child's development and to expose him to that behaviour, it's, yeah, sorry, champ, Sorry. It's a really interesting part of the documentary, isn't it? It's almost entirely out of left field. It's interesting to watch the doco because a lot of other people who were around Tiger when he was growing up hint towards this. But they always say, oh, I know it would be too much of a betrayal to go there. So we have a bunch of people saying, oh, stuff was going on with Earl's behaviour, but I'm not going to go there. It feels disrespectful. And then this Joe Groman guy essentially just goes... I'm going to spill the beans, not just about Earl, but about myself. And sorry, champ. Sorry, champ. He has to actually stop himself from crying mid-giving these quotes. He's very overcome with emotion. But it's hard because you're hearing this guy say some pretty tricky things. And he's really upset about it, but also he did it for what sounds like years. So make of that what you will. Yeah, exactly. Now, Dina, Tiger's ex, also spoke to producers for the docuseries, and she confirmed that Earl's philandering did affect Tiger deeply. In the documentary, she tells this story about when a then-teenage Tiger was travelling for a summer golf tournament with his dad. Now, apparently, he called Dina in tears, and of that call, she said, I will never forget it. He was sobbing on the phone uncontrollably. I couldn't even understand what he was saying. He was so upset. He finally caught his 
breath and said, my dad's out again. He met this girl and they're going out. I've never heard anybody in my life so upset. And I don't think his dad really cared that he knew. And I also think that bothered him. Like, why wouldn't you try to hide this from me? There was anger there with his dad. Yeah, of course, the Tiger Woods biography touched upon these affairs as well. There was one passage in particular that we found really interesting. Earl's womanizing was well known to his extended family. His own sister, May, who loved Earl dearly, famously quipped, Oh Lord, if he had been my husband, I'd have shot him. His habits drove a wedge between him and his family. The authors went on, it was impossible for Earl to hide everything now that the father and son were traveling the country together. Tiger soon figured out what was going on and was subsequently devastated by his father's behavior. He never confronted Earl about his cheating, but he did confide in his girlfriend, Dina, who supported him. So it's probably worth keeping in mind that this tension was there and was bubbling as Tiger and Earl were spending all this time together and trying to channel his golfing talent into this really glittering career. But we're going to talk about that after the break. All right, Zara, by this point in the timeline, it's 1993. Tiger has had his senior prom at high school. He's about 18 years old and his classmates, when they were graduating, actually voted him most likely to succeed. He also received a full scholarship to Stanford. And after he attended college, he planned to compete in the PGA Tour. Yeah, now Earl was very full of high hopes and praise for Tiger and he often made these beliefs known to the media. As per the biography, Earl was notorious for making outlandish statements about Tiger to the media, like the time he predicted in Sports Illustrated that his then 20-year-old son would have more influence on the world than Nelson Mandela, Gandhi or Buddha. He is the chosen one, Earl told the magazine. He will have the power to impact nations. It's a lot. It's a lot. Tita thought this kind of talk provoked the press to ask Tiger more complicated questions as per the biography. Tita blamed Earl for putting Tiger at the mercy of unwarranted expectation and scrutiny by constantly placing him on a pedestal. Whenever Earl told the press that Tiger was like this civil rights leader or that athlete who broke colour boundaries, Tita referred to the pontifications as old man bullshit. (laughs) At this point in the timeline, Tiger and Dina were still together, but it was getting harder for them as a couple to spend time together given Tiger was so committed to becoming a pro golfer. Around the time that Tiger was about 19 years old, Dina actually travelled with her parents to watch him compete in an amateur golf tournament. She spent the day with Royce Woods, who is Tiger's half-sister, and was said to have really enjoyed watching Tiger in his element. Unfortunately, though, during this tournament, Tiger hurt his shoulder and had to go to the hospital to get an MRI. He told Dina to stay with her parents instead of coming with him to the hospital. So they parted ways. Yeah, about five hours after they parted ways at nine o'clock that evening, her suitcase and a letter appeared at their hotel room door. The letter was addressed to Dina and was from Tiger and it read like this. Dina, my shoulder is okay. It's just a strained and overused rotator cuff. The reason for writing this letter is to inform you of my absolute anger and disappointment in you. Today I heard from my parents that you were telling everyone 
everyone in the gallery who would listen that you were Tiger's girlfriend. Then you have the nerve to tell me in the clubhouse that when a reporter asked you who you were, you responded with just a friend. The letter went on. My parents, Royce, and myself never want to talk or hear from you again. I hope the rest of your life runs well for you. I know this is sudden and a surprise, but in my opinion, it is much warranted. Sincerely, Tiger. P.S. Please mail my necklace that I gave you to me when you get back home. Don't show up at the tournament tomorrow because you are not welcome. Harsh. Quite. That is so harsh. This really cut Dina, who said in the HBO doco, it was awful. I mean, we'd been in this three-year relationship and, you know, I thought, should I drive over there? I just wanted to confront him. I just wanted him to look me in the face and tell me this. If it's the truth, then we're good. Then our relationship was a whole lie. That's fine, but I want to hear it from you. I replay that day in my head over and over again. What happened? What really triggered all of this? But you know, it has to be that it was just the plan, she says in quotation marks. Yeah, she went on. It was like a death and I had to treat it like a death because I just had to let it go and pretend he was gone. Because honestly, the person that I fell in love with, the tiger that I had known had died. The part of his soul that I knew would never treat me that way. His sweetness was stolen from him. The new tiger was here and he was all about golf. Now, for the record and for what it's worth, the claims in the letter that Dina ran around gushing about their relationship did appear, according to some sources, to be false. As per the Tiger Woods bio, none of it made any sense. She hadn't approached anyone in the stands. She avoided people. Royce could attest to that. Besides, how could Earl and Tita have known what she'd done in the stands? So it's interesting to kind of try and unpack this. The biography and the doco seem to heavily imply that Tiger's parents misled Tiger and convinced him that Dina was bad for him and running her mouth and a distraction when perhaps they were just motivated to get Dina out of the picture. It's really hard, to be honest, for me not to trust Dina's side of this story when you see her in the documentary. I agree. And she is still so blindsided by this. It's been decades, but she clearly loved this man. They were together for three years and this is how it ended. And she still seems perplexed. Yeah, like she never got any closure at all. Years after this whole fiasco, Earl told TV Guide, I don't see Tiger marrying before 30, if then, because he has a lot to accomplish in the game of golf. And let's face it, a wife can sometimes be a deterrent to a good game of golf. If anything, that does prove where the headspace of Earl was, to say the least. Mm. After this letter, Dina heard from Tiger just once more in the form of another letter. It was eight months after the first one was delivered. It read, I am truly sorry for what I did to you and your family. I regret the actions I took. I know that was not the way it should have ended, for that I am truly sorry. I really hope you have moved on and found someone who will make you happy in every way because you certainly deserve it. I wish you the best in whatever you do. Good luck, warmest Tiger. Dina never responded to that second letter and and it was the last she ever heard from Tiger Woods. Back to Tiger, though. By 1996, when he was about 20 years old, it had become crystal clear that he needed to turn pro. He was completely dominating the amateur circuit. And not to mention, he and his family were in need of some cash. The thing with professional tournaments, of course, is that you can be in the market for some of those big brand sponsorships, which obviously means far more money. Yeah, not to mention the 
prize pool for these tournaments is huge. There's like millions of dollars worth of prize money up for grabs. Now, the brands now well aware of Tiger's earning potential were also really keen. Nike were the first to sign him up, running a really serious moving advertising campaign simultaneously with his first professional tournament. Tiger's deal with Nike, signed in 96, was a five-year agreement worth an estimated $40 million. This made Tiger Nike's highest paid athlete. He was earning more money than Michael Jordan and he was suddenly a multi-millionaire, which means his family's money woes were definitely over. Yeah. At this time, during a celebratory banquet honoring his incredible performance in his final season as an amateur, Earl Woods spoke yet again about the formidable impact he expected his son to make on the world. Choking back tears, Earl said this, Tiger will transcend the game and bring to the world a humanitarianism which has never been known before. The world will be a better place to live in by virtue of his existence and his presence. I know that I was selected by God himself to nurture this young man and bring him to the point where he can make his contribution to humanity. This is my treasure. Please accept it and use it wisely. So we've gone beyond being the greatest golfer to ever walk the earth to being the greatest humanitarian to change the world, bring change that the world has never seen before. It is beyond any expectation that anyone should have to carry. Now, while Earl was more than lofty with his goals for Tiger, as per the Tiger Woods biography, his first season as a professional really was changing the face of golf as the world knew it. Tiger had become the rock star of golf. His fame was transforming the game and wreaking havoc on the rules of etiquette at tournaments. The crowds at his first seven professional tour events were twice or in some instances three times the normal size. The book went on. Fans were trampling over ropes to get to him. Women were approaching him on the range and proposing marriage. David Letterman and Jay Leno were clamoring to have him on their shows. GQ wanted to put him on the cover. Everyone, it seemed, wanted a piece of Tiger. It seemed like he was making history on a daily basis. The only way to put this is hysteria. When you watch the documentary, you've seen grown men not just jump over waterways to get closer to Tiger, they push over security guards. There's like a stampede towards Tiger. And keeping in mind as well that this is a sport that's definitely over the decades been defined by being refined it's predicated on like being a gentleman yes and like it being really quiet Mm. and people like quietly clapping like the whole thing is is so refined and this was as you say hysteria being brought to the sport yeah despite now being worth millions the woods family was soon faced with another problem earl's health in 97 he actually had a triple bypass surgery and then faced complications afterwards which landed him in the icu Despite eventually making a recovery, health problems would unfortunately become quite common for Earl from this point on. We're going to fast forward a couple of years, Zara. We're now in the year 2000. By this point in the timeline, Tiger is 24 and he had won nine of the 20 PGA Tour events that he had entered into since going pro. Yeah, it's not a bad strike record. Now, as his celebrity grew, he also felt himself drifting apart from his dad. He didn't need him at every single tournament anymore. In fact, sometimes he was even ignoring Earl's phone calls. Now, because Earl had made himself such a public figure by speaking to the media, 
media so constantly, people did start to question his absence, even speculating that there had been a falling out between himself and Tiger. Mm, In response, Earl, of course, in true Earl fashion, spoke to the media. He said, I raised Tiger to leave me. We don't have to communicate with each other to validate our friendship. The thing was, though, the reason for Earl's absence was actually, it seems anyway, a lot more complicated than that. On the reason for their drifting apart, there are two different theories. The biography on Tiger's life posited this. By 2000, Tiger was his own man, weary of Earl's antics and no longer interested in sharing the stage with him or anyone else. At the same time, Earl was no longer making any effort to camouflage his vices. He had no intention of tempering his drinking, nor was he cutting back on smoking, despite his heart problems and the warnings from his doctor. The biography also notes that four years earlier, Tita, who was at this point sick of Earl's antics, had moved out of the family home and in light of her absence, Earl had taken his womanizing to new heights with a parade of women reportedly populating Tiger's childhood home. The HBO docuseries did have a narrower explanation, though, about the strained relationship between Tiger and Earl at this time. According to the LA Times writer Thomas Bonk, the media had started sniffing around Earl and had cottoned on to his affairs in particular. Thomas said that when Tiger learned that his father's poor behaviour was potentially going to go public, he did what he could to squash the story and then distance himself from his father, who had officially become a threat to his brand, I guess. Yeah, Thomas Bonk's quotes in the doco were really interesting. He said this, Earl had girlfriends and they became messy. It was going to become public and Tiger went out of his way to make sure nobody knew what was going on with Earl. The womanizing, the drinking, Tiger did not want any shadows on his brand or any shadows on his foundation. It turned Earl and Tiger apart at the very time that they should have been together because Earl was starting to show his age and fragility. Curiously, after this quote, the doco then plays this interview with Earl in his final years where he is crying about his relationship with Tiger. In this kind of snippet, the interviewer asks, what's the most important thing in raising children? What's the bit of advice that you can give the mothers and fathers out there? To which Earl responds with tears running down his cheeks, you have to earn their trust and respect. I have a phrase that love is a given, trust and respect are earned. You have to earn it. Mm. I mean, it's, it's clearly impossible for us to have an answer for what exactly went wrong here. All we know for sure is that at this time in his life, Tiger was appearing to push away from his dad. Yeah, it was at this point in his life as well that Tiger really lent into what seemed to be a new hobby, Las Vegas. He had always been good at maths, according to reports. And apparently, That meant that he took to gambling like a duck to water. He also seemed to really appreciate Las Vegas establishments for their discreet attitudes. There in Las Vegas, he seemed to be treated like a king, but also without the scrutiny and the crowds that followed him everywhere else in the country. Yeah, by 24, he was a multi-multi-millionaire at the top of his golf game and spending his weekends in Vegas gambling and hanging out with famous friends like Michael Jordan. That wasn't everything, though, because at 25, Tiger would meet the future mother of his children. The story goes like this. At the 2001 British Open, 
Tiger noticed a beautiful 21-year-old woman who was working as a nanny for another golfer in the competition. Her name was Ellen Nordegren. Yeah. Now, Mish, tell me who this woman was. This woman was born in Stockholm in January 1980. She has a journalist father and social worker mother. When Elin was 19, she was studying psychology and working in a clothing store when the wife of another golfer, the wife of Jesper Pornovic, walked in. Yeah, apparently the Pornovics had been looking for a nanny for their four children and somehow Elin got the job after that first chance encounter. She quit her job in Sweden and moved to their house in Florida to become the nanny. Now, after Tiger noticed her at the British Open, he reached out through a third party to ask her out. Initially, she said no. She sort of found the asking out method a bit strange and like wasn't that interested in being some athlete's <laughs> trophy girlfriend, which is fair. Yeah, but Tiger persisted, often calling Jesper Pornovic's house to try and reach Elin. A few weeks passed and eventually she had been persuaded. They went on to become a couple and they kept things very quiet to start with. Yeah, in the HBO documentary, Tiger's former caddy, Steve Williams, recalled the early days of Tiger and Elin. He said, when you find the right person, you know it's the right person. I remember straight away, he was very, very fond of this girl. I knew straight away that, hey, this girlfriend is different to the other girls he'd been with. Mm. Elin's friend, a woman named Sandra Westfall, also spoke to the doco and described Elin as not only quite shy, but someone who doesn't like celebrities or the concept of fame. And I do have to say that does ring true yes. knowing what we know of Elin and having dug into her life a little bit. Sandra said, the idea of joining that world was not appealing to her. The hardest part about their relationship was adjusting to the spotlight that followed him. But Tiger was very sweetly protective of Elin. Ironically, the spotlight that first repelled her suddenly bonded them like us against the world. It was just the two of them and she believed it was everything. Things soon became public, though, and Elin began to accompany Tiger to tournaments to support him. Now, instead of Earl being by Tiger's side at every competition, it was Elin at Tiger's side. By 2003, when Tiger was 26 and Elin was 23, they got engaged. They attempted to keep the engagement a secret, but the news did break in November that year that they were getting married. The New York Post actually ran a story at the time with the headline, Tiger bags his babe, Woods's proposal to Sweetie Pie, a hole in one. <laughs> this Sweetie Pie. Sweetie Pie, in case that wasn't clear. <laughs> the thing was, there was reportedly a lot that Elon didn't know about the way that Tiger spent his time, even at this point. I mean, she reportedly knew that he valued his privacy, so she didn't pry. But there are a lot of reports saying that there were many times where she didn't know where he was or what he was doing even before they were married. As per the Tiger Woods biography, there are a lot of things Tiger didn't tell Elon, especially when it came to his whereabouts and the women he met on the road. It soon became clear that he wanted it both ways, the picture-perfect marriage and the freedom to walk on the wild side. In that respect, he was a lot like his father, but with one big difference – unlimited opportunity. I love that passage. Now, Tiger and Elin were married on October 5, 2004 at a resort in Barbados in an effort to hide their wedding from the Paps. Tiger reportedly spent $1.5 million to book out the entire resort for the week of the wedding. Now, that of course sounds exorbitant, but when you compare it with his reported salary at the time, which was $80 million a year by the year 2004, 
It's kind of like affordable for Tiger. Oh, yeah. It's just like chump change. Tiger was 28 at this point. Ellen was 24. After a short ski trip after the wedding, Tiger was back on the golf course. And in 2004, he was actually going through a bit of a career lull, but Ellen was there by his side for pretty much every tournament. In an interview with people from around this time, Tiger told the publication, I knew that Elon was a special woman pretty soon after I met her. I knew that she was the one for me. She's a special person and I know how lucky I am to have her. We're at the beginning of our life together and that's an exciting place to be. Only, and I think we're going to experience this more and more as the series goes on. There seems to be one kind of family man tiger and one partying tiger. And it was only pretty soon after he gave that quote to People magazine that he was actually reportedly back in Vegas and surrounded by women. This time, unbeknownst to his wife and the world, he was apparently pursuing a 21-year-old woman named Jamie Jungers, who he met at a club. Yeah, as per the biography, a few hours later, Jungus found herself more than a little drunk and alone with Woods in his suite. The confidence he had long displayed on the golf course had found its way into the bedroom. It started out just making out and then it turned very wild, said Jungus. Now, it kind of goes without saying, but I do want to make it clear here, we didn't know any of this at the time. Mm. We found out much later. Now, this first meeting at a nightclub kick-started an 18-month affair between Jamie and Tiger, literally just weeks after Tiger married Elon. Now, he flew Jamie to different states he was in, told her to store his phone number under a fake name in her phone, and he even gave her a nickname, My Little Coffee Cup. My Little Coffee Cup. Unusual, Unusual. but it's, it's 2005 by this point. And despite his complicated love life, Tiger's performance on the golf course had officially returned to normal. He was better than ever. He was winning the Masters and the British Open that year, and it officially climbed back up the rankings to become the most dominant golfer in the world again. I think this does speak to his ability to compartmentalize his personal and professional lives. Like he was clearly living it up on the weekend, clearly involving himself in certain behaviors throughout the week, but then able to hit the golf course for a tournament and absolutely kill it. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, at this point in his life, Earl Woods' health took a really serious turn for the worse. He had advanced cancer and not very long left to live. He relied on a day-to-day carer, which Tiger paid for. Now, once again, as you say, Mish, Tiger's remarkable ability to compartmentalise saw him win even more major tournaments in January 2006, despite his dad's worsening condition. Yeah, in fact, in a scenario that definitely reflects Tiger's chaotic lifestyle at this time, He was actually with mistress Jamie Jungers when his mum called him to let him know that his father's kidneys were shutting down and that his father had been placed on oxygen. Yeah, so at this point, Tiger left to see his dad for a few hours, then returned to Jungers. She later said that though she could tell he was preoccupied, they went to bed as usual. And then later that same night, it was around 3am, Tita actually called Tiger to let him know that Earl had passed away at the age of 74. Yeah, in a statement posted on his website, Tiger wrote, My dad was my best friend and greatest role model. He was an amazing dad, coach, mentor, soldier, husband and friend. Earl's death, despite all of the tension that had kind of existed between them for so long, still devastated Tiger. Understandably so. I mean, yes, this was a complicated relationship, but 
It might have been the most pivotal relationship in Tiger's life, certainly his childhood. Yeah, absolutely. Now, curiously, despite Tiger's, I guess, wealth and relationship with his father, Earl was buried without a headstone, as per the Tiger Woods biography. If it had been up to Earl, his son would have financed the construction of a giant monument with an inscription that said something along the lines of, here lies the father of Tiger Woods. But it was up to Coltita, and she buried him in a way that would make him virtually impossible to find. Yeah, it's an interesting tidbit. I don't really know how to make sense of it. According to what we've watched and read, from this point on, Tiger ramped up his womanizing considerably. He met another woman at a nightclub in New York, and the couple made a habit of sleeping together every time he was in the city. Yeah, now, I think at this point in the story, we also need to introduce another big player, and it is the now-defunct tabloid, The National Enquirer. Familiar to scandal listeners. Look, I was going to say, if you're a long-time <laughs> scandal listener, you have probably heard us reference The Enquirer before. They used to be famous for their salacious, exclusive stories about celebrities and their various falls from grace. For example, to get a sense of what The Enquirer was known for and what their reputation was like. In 1977, so yes, many, many years before this story, the tabloid ran a photo of Elvis Presley in his casket on the cover that was secretly taken by Elvis's cousin for $18,000. That issue sold a record 6.7 million copies. So grubby. Grubby, grubby grubby tabloid. And anything to get the story, no matter at whose expense. And completely dehumanising to public figures. Completely. Those are the cornerstones of the National Enquirer. Now, in 2006, when it came to Tiger Woods, the Enquirer reportedly employed women across America to attend exclusive nightclubs populated by celebrities, then backed up that network with various valets, bartenders, bouncers, cocktail waitresses, all to kind of form this network of informants. Now, this wasn't just for Tiger Woods. They had this system in place. I guess it was like a honey trap, a honey trap for all kinds of American celebrities. But Tiger Woods at this point in time was kind of like the ultimate celebrity to snare. Yeah, I mean, this was the guy that frequents... Vegas Mm. quite a lot, right? They knew that he was out and about on the town. Now, everyone who spoke to the tabloid about the activities of any celebrity guest at the clubs were paid in cash for their contributions. So reportedly anywhere between $200 and $500 per night, the informants would tell the National Enquirer what they saw. The National Enquirer would report on it. Yeah, and that is essentially exactly what happened at the beginning of the Tiger Woods cheating scandal. In 2006, the National Enquirer had heard whispers about tiger and what he got up to on the florida club scene so the tabloid approached people and at first they couldn't get anyone to talk but then someone did in the middle of 2006 they received a call to their tip line from a woman who claimed that her daughter was having an affair with tiger woods The woman's daughter was a waitress named Mindy Lawton. Yes, so apparently Mindy worked at a restaurant that Tiger and Elan regularly attended for breakfast. One morning, Mindy received a call to the restaurant's phone from Tiger Woods asking if she'd like to go to a club with him that evening. 
She said yes, and this sparked another ongoing affair. For anyone counting, there is at least three simultaneous affairs that were going on at this time. How does he have the time? Oh, genuinely, and the energy. The world obviously didn't know this at the time, though. As per the biography Tiger Woods, Woods was taking bigger and bigger risks. Lawton, on the other hand, thought she was falling in love. She couldn't help telling family members what was happening, and that's when her mother saw an opportunity and called the Inquirer. Imagine finding out your mum called the National Inquirer's tip line to talk about your sexual life. Genuinely. I can't even make sense of that at all. So the Inquirer, when they got this tip from Mindy Lawton's mum, jumped into action. Unbeknownst to Tiger, they tailed him one morning when he met Mindy at a parking lot before the sun rose. The tabloid's photographer then took snap after snap after snap of Tiger's car and after the couple had parted, and this is quite a sticky, dare I say trashy detail of the story that we know of, but we made a decision to include it because it is everywhere. If you've read anything about Tiger Woods, you would know that the photographer recovered a used tampon that had been flung out the window of the car and stored it in a safe as evidence. The other reason, of course, we wanted to include that is because like, this is what the paper was like. This is what the tabloid scene was like. This is the length to which they would go in order to get a story. The fact that they stored that in a safe, I think, paints a very clear picture to the listeners as to the lengths they were willing to go to to, to connect this story to Tiger. Yeah, and to expose Tiger Woods for having extramarital affairs. Now, this was clearly a very serious problem for Tiger and his team. The editor-in-chief for the Inquirer at the time, David Perrell, ran the information past the owner of the Inquirer's parent company, American Media Inc. Now, Perrell then left an ominous voicemail for IMG, which were Tiger's PR reps, saying, what is Tiger Woods' relationship, if any, with Mindy Lawton? Imagine being the PR person who listened to that voicemail. Correct. (laughs) Now, this one voicemail obviously spurred IMG into action. Less than 24 hours after that initial car park meeting between Tiger and Mindy, Tiger's legal team and American Media Inc. were ready to discuss their options. Yeah, according to the former editor of the National Enquirer, Neil Bolton, we knew that we had Tiger Woods, but the photographs were too blurry to run, so we decided we'd do a catch and kill and make a deal. In exchange for our silence, Tiger would appear on the cover of Men's Fitness, which was owned by the company that owned the National Enquirer. The Tiger camp considered the deal and considered it favourably. As salacious as the Mindy Lawton story was, nothing was ever printed and in the eyes of the public, Tiger Woods remained Tiger Woods. And so it was agreed. In June 2007, Tiger Woods featured on the front cover of Men's Fitness with an upbeat story that focused on his fitness routine. He also included what I would call a very valuable piece of personal information in this story that he was about to become a dad. Yeah, we're going to talk about the contents of that story and how Tiger Woods eventually became undone, despite knowing he had photographers tailing his car on the next episode of Scandal. I cannot wait. I can't wait, guys. (laughs) Thanks so much, as always, to our research, Eilish Gilligan, for working with us on putting this one together. 
If you want to see some photos from this time, come follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are also on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. We absolutely are. Also, click follow as you listen to this episode. Send it to a friend who might love it. If you want to listen to part two, guys, it is now available for anyone who subscribes to Shame More. Just look in our show notes, click that link. And if you subscribe to Shame More, you can listen right away. Right now. All right. Back in yours on Thursday. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly, style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.